All right, welcome to another episode of THN on the O. As always, I am Tony Ferrari, host of the show. With me is my co-host, Brock Otten. How's it going, buddy? Good. How you doing, Tony? Not too bad. We've got a fun episode today. Going to go over some NHL draft lists, a little bit of Team Canada stuff, and all sorts of stuff going on in the OHL. But I figured we'd start with the three stars. And who did you have as our first star this week, Brock? I mean, it had to be Jorian Donovan. Had a really good uh, week or... When I say week two games for for the Bulldogs, but you know what, he's he's been pretty good all season. Uh, we kind of talked about him very recently on, on the show as part of the Ottawa Senators prospects that we talked about, and I think we're starting to see his you know prospect development really turn a corner. Yeah, it's been fun to kind of see the mobility and everything come out of his game finally. Like he's always been a good skater and a toolsy kid. It, it's fun to see him put it together now that he's kind of maturing a little bit in the OHL and getting getting his feet under him. But he really has been really fun to watch last week or so. He's got a hat trick under his belt, which is always fun to see a defenseman get. What did you like about his game? Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really good point. I think the thing that sort of sticks out for me is that he's kind of regaining his confidence and taking some of those offensive chances, right? I feel like last year with his draft year, he started off the year sort of doing that. And a lot of those risks that he was taking ended up in the back of Hamilton's net. And then he kind of fell down the depth chart a little bit, found himself sort of like in and out of the lineup with how deep Hamilton was. And I think it kind of hurt his confidence as a puck carrier. And this year, I think that we're sort of seeing him regain that. And he's sort of picking better opportunities to jump up in the play or lead the attack. And that's sort of leading in to, you know, point production for the Bulldogs. Yeah, it's really nice to see. And I'm sure the Ottawa Senators fans listening to the show are going to be excited to see that because he was a guy that some people questioned as a draft prospect, but it, at the end of the day, he's looking pretty good so far this year. And now we move on to our second star, Zane Parikh. What did you see in his game this week? Well, he has not, uh, or he has recorded a point in every single game post under 17s, which I think is uh, very, very impressive for, for a young player, a young defender. And he's really starting to establish himself as, as part of Saginaw's core moving forward. Had a really good week for them. Is, is starting to really blossom as an offensive defender. I think that tournament did wonders for his confidence. Um, and I think he was somebody that we needed to include on this list. Yeah, when you have four goals and two assists in, the, in just a three-game sample, it's always pretty good, especially when he's so young, and that's the thing, right? Like you mentioned, he was just at the U-17s, and he's recorded a point at every every game since then. He's fun to watch, fun player to watch, a guy that I think he's still figuring out exactly what his role is going to be at the OHL level, and as he kind of matures, I'm sure it'll become more defined, but he certainly is fun in flashes at this point. Yeah, I think there's a ton of upside as, as a power play quarterback, especially, and I mean, who better to learn the ropes from than Pavel Minchikov and Saginaw, right? They're going to be able to sort of move right from Minchikov to to him, and it should be a pretty seamless uh, transition. Yeah, and our third star of the week is the elder statesman of the list this week, and it's Brett Brochu, goalie, outstanding goalie. I think he's, he's had so many games and so many weeks over the last couple of years where he could have been one of the three stars of any given week. But he was the goalie of the week this week in the OHL, and what did you like about his game? Yeah, so he hasn't had the kind of start to his season I think many people sort of expected from him as an overager. Uh, I think a lot of us sort of expected him to to be one of the best goaltenders in the OHL this year and just hasn't really been the case. And I know London kind of struggled early on. They've got a young team. But, you know, I think we saw him stealing more games in previous years than we have so far this year. And a really good weekend for him hopefully sort of kickstarts 
the rest of the season for him. And maybe that's on a different team. Maybe that's part of London. Who knows what the future holds, but it's definitely promising to see him playing well in at least a, a short, uh, brief moment this weekend. Yeah. Now that we're getting into December and January where the trade deadline is and we're, st- and we're starting to see what these teams are all starting to look like. He's going to be a name definitely to watch out for on the trade block, but he is a guy that was outstanding this week. Two goals allowed total, one shutout in, in, in the two games, 969 save percentage. You, you can't argue with those numbers. And like you said, he's got the, the, the track record of doing it. Is he going to be able to continue doing it in, in, in London or is he going to do it somewhere else? Do you have a, an idea of where you think he, maybe he could fit if he does get traded? That's a really good question. I mean, couldn't anybody use a goalie like Groshu if he's on the top yeah. of his game? Um, you know, I, I look at a team like Peterborough, Right. Uh, yes, Michael Simpson has been fantastic. We talked about him uh, earlier uh, last week as, as part of our three stars. He's been one of the best goalies in the OHL. But if the asking price on Roshu isn't incredibly high and as an overager, you know, there are sometimes challenges with moving them. Would Peterborough maybe be interested in him bringing him in to sort of place, you know, a, a dual platoon role with somebody like Simpson? Uh, I mean, that's one team that sort of jumps out at me. Ottawa, you look at them, if they want to continue to play the way they have been, yes, Maxinoso has been great. But again, bringing in a veteran like Brochu, if that means rejuggling some OAs, uh, that's the challenge for a lot of these teams when it comes to talking about Brochu, right? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. A team down here in Windsor could use them. I know they acquired a goalie early in the season. But it, there's all these competitors at the top that don't necessarily have their goalie setting, goalie, goalie crease set right now. It's going to be interesting to see if he does move and where he does move. Like you said, that overage factor always kind of factors in a little bit. Now let's move on to our team of the week, though. And uh, I've got a loaded pool this week with Tampa Bay. Um, the one and only player is defenseman Roman Schmidt from the Kitchener Rangers. Third-round pick, 96 overall in 21. Ten points on the year, just one goal and ten or nine assists. 21 penalty minutes, and he's a minus three, but it's been improving slowly as the year's gone on and as Kitchener's kind of improved. What, what have you liked about his game this year? And what do you kind of think is his future aspects? Yeah. So with Schmidt, the thing is he's a big guy and he skates well, right? He's, he's very agile for, for a big defender too. It's not just, you know, front and back. It's not just sort of that linear movement. It's that forward mobility, which is really solid for, for a bigger defender. And I think that's why he was such a high draft pick in the first place and why he's been sort of a pretty highly touted prospect over the last few years coming out of the U.S. National Development Program. I think there are some limitations to his game. I think that we saw that as a draft-eligible player. I think we still sort of see that, especially when we're talking about his puck skill. I think that when he's confined and challenged and pressured, turnovers can sometimes happen. He kind of struggles to make creative plays to get out of some of those challenging situations. But when he's got time, he keeps things simple. Um, You know, he can use his mobility to sort of escape that pressure when his hands are failing him. And I think that that bodes well to a possible NHL career, not in in any sort of highway or in a a high leverage role with the lightning, but maybe more of like a bottom six guy in the future. He's physical. That mobility is going to play well at the pro level uh, with a quicker pace. I think it's just how much that puck skill, how much, his decision-making with the puck can continue to improve because I do think that there's a lot to work with. Yeah, I think what you said about him being a bigger guy who's physical and can skate fits right into that model of Tampa Bay defensemen that we've seen over the years where they're able to kind of just find guys that fit into the bottom pairing role and, and develop well. And I think Tampa's done a really good job over the years, as we've all seen, 
you don't make a three straight cup final runs, winning two of them without uh, some development in, in tow. And, and Roman Schmidt could be one of the next guys. I think going pro in the next couple of years will be really good for him. He's going to be a guy that I think comes from uh, a good program with the NTDP. Now he's playing with Kitchener the last couple of years. He's experienced a lot. He's done a lot in terms of internationally and in terms of kind of playing all over the place. Like I said, both in the U.S. and in now in the OHL. Tampa always finds guys like this and, and makes it work. So I, while I don't think he's going to have that high-end career, like you said, a, a bottom-pairing guy on a good team, I think he's going to be in that because that mobility plays at the NHL level. And I think we're starting to see that you don't get the big hulking defenseman without being a little bit mobile nowadays. So he, he has that profile of that good third-pairing guy, and we'll see what he kind of ends up as. Yeah, and I think using the term sort of like long-term project probably fits with Schmidt too. I don't think he's going to be a guy that walks right into the NHL. Um, you know, late third-round picks rarely do. He's going to have to bide some time in the AHL and and sort of adjust the pace and continue to improve some of that skill. Um, you know, I, I look at a guy like Logan Stanley, right, who I think exiting the OHL was a better offensive player than we're seeing from Schmidt right now, and he sort of had some of those similar kind of challenges and playing with the puck at the NHL level. And I think Tampa's going to have to be patient, but I do think that there's somebody in there that, that can help them. All right. Now let's move on from Tampa Bay's one prospect in the OHL and get to uh, a couple lists we're going to do. The first list we're going to do is a, an OHL or yeah, a draft list from the OHL for the NHL draft this year. And before we actually get to our list, because we both gave our top five with an honorable mention, I want to get just your overall thoughts on the, the OHL crop for this year. Yeah, I think when we compare it to the other crops sort of around the world, when we look at what the U.S. has to offer this year, obviously what the WHL has to offer this year, uh, what some of the countries in Europe have to offer, I don't think it's an incredibly strong year for the OHL. Um, I think the depth in particular isn't terrific. I don't know if we'll see more than like, now, it's, it's, uh, this is prefaced by saying this is very early on in, in the season still for, for draft scouting. Um, but I would be shocked if there's more than, say, like 30 that get selected from the OHL this year. Just sort of looking at my own list and expanding and making notes. Uh, well, even including guys who are on their second or third year of eligibility, I just don't know if there's more than 25 or 30 who are going to really get serious consideration for the draft this year. Um and I think early on in the year, we sort of saw and thought guys like Allen and Richie and Barlow would be right up there in that sort of top 10 range. And of those three, Colby Barlow is really the only one that's playing well. And now we're seeing Cam Allen sort of drift from, okay, you know, is he potentially the top defender off the board in 2023 to is he even the top OHL defender off the board in 2023? And Cal Richie you know, he's playing for a struggling team in Oshawa. We're going to talk about him in a bit, but he's somebody who hasn't had the greatest start to the year. So some of those high end prospects that we thought were going to push for the top 10 have kind of struggled. So now we're looking at, okay, how many first rounders does the OHL even have for this crop? And it might be no more than a couple, right? Uh, when we factor in the depth of some of these other leagues, again, very early on to have this kind of discussion about, the strength of the OHL crop, but I would sort of say it's, it's not the strongest. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think there's 
four guys or five guys that kind of the top at the top of both of our lists where we go, we could see them going in the first round, but there's certainly no guarantee they're going in the first round. I think it, it's going to be interesting. The few NHL scouts that I've talked to have talked to me about guys like Cam Allen and, and Cal Ritchie and just how they thought they could be top 10, even possibly top five guys with, with Ritchie, but they haven't been able to do it this year. They haven't been able to kind of produce the way they were supposed to. They haven't been able to play the way they're supposed to, and, and they've looked uncomfortable at times. I think you, we'll talk about him in a minute, but a guy like Cam Allen, he was a guy that I think a lot of people, like you said, had as on the top of their board as the top defenseman. Now he's got questions of whether he's the top two or three defensemen even in the OHL, let alone top defenseman in the, in the draft. It, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see where he's going because he probably has been the biggest disappointment of the draft year just in, across all regions so far. So it's going to be interesting because the talent's there. I don't think that's the tools are gone or – he doesn't have the ability to play hockey anymore. You don't lose it after being a guy that puts up 39 points as a D minus one, but the progression hasn't been there. And that's been the big concerning thing. Yeah. I think you nailed it. I think that he's been given sort of a top pairing role on a team that we thought was going to be really good. The team has not been great. He has not been great. And now it's kind of like, so what's happening? What's happened here? And it's early on in the season. Hopefully Guelph can sort of turn things around, but I mean, right now uh, it's looking a little bit bleak for them and they're already selling off too by moving past your job. Right. So we'll see. All right. Now let's jump over to your list. We're going to look at your top five first and then we'll get over to mine. And your list is a, is a pretty interesting list. You've got Kobe Barlow at the top, Cal Ritchie, Quentin Musty, Bo Aki, and Luca Pinelli, and then your honorable mention, which isn't listed up on the screen right now, is Cam Allen. Let's start at the top with Colby Barlow because he is a little bit further down my list. So what makes him your number one guy? I think you have to factor in sort of everything that's happened so far this year, and we just kind of talked about how Richie and Allen kind of haven't had the best starts of the year. Quentin Musty's kind of been up and down. I look at Barlow as probably the safest bet to have – a really strong NHL career of the OHL crop this year. I think that with his sort of speed, his power game, his ability to play both ends, his goal scoring ability, there's a, there's a lot to like there. There's a lot to like as a really strong complementary piece on an NHL scoring line. I think that there's maybe some downside that his transition skill and his ability to play with the puck and sort of create his own chances, maybe never develops. And he kind of settles into that sort of middle six role, but Overall, I just feel kind of, again, sort of safe with him at the top of that list. And I think that he's somebody that NHL scouts, I think, are going to like a lot more than maybe sort of the amateur internet scouts, just because a lot of the qualities that he possesses are qualities that really good NHL players possess. Um, and I just think that when you factor in the, you know, the strong start that he's had and the way that he played at the Holinka and the fact that he's wearing a letter, uh, the captaincy and Owen sound on a good team. There's just a lot of intangibles there too. So that's why he's number one for me. All right. Now we talked about Cal Ritchie and how he's been a bit of a disappointment, but he remains number two on your list. And he's also same spot on mine. When we get to that in a minute, what makes Cal Ritchie a guy that still intrigues you to this day, even, even with the slow start. I just see somebody that can be a potential two-way center uh, that can play through the middle of the lineup on an NHL team. I think there's still a lot to like there. It's just so far this year, he hasn't really driven play or shown an ability to be a, a primary play driver. 
I think that's sort of the concerning thing uh, about his game. And I think that we just haven't really seen a step forward from him as a skater, as somebody who's confident in leading the attack. Um, I think early on, we saw some really strong play away from the puck. I was very impressed with that. Now, the last few weeks, last month or so, I feel like he's been too content to be that passenger that I just mentioned. And I was tempted to put him lower, but I just think that it's too early to move him too far down. I think that there's a chance that he can turn things around. And I think it's important to be patient there because I do think that the upside, again, looking at a really strong two-way center, we're looking at Musty, Pinelli as wingers. There really isn't somebody I would say that's that top, like really good center prospect from the O and Richie is the closest thing to that. And we know that that carries a lot of weight. All right. Now you just mentioned him and Quentin Musty, a guy that we've talked about a few times on the podcast as having all the tools, but he needs to put it together. What makes him number three on your board so far? Yeah, he's moved up. Definitely. Um, even the last few weeks since Derek McKenzie took over behind the bench in Sudbury, I think we're seeing him really start to blossom. I think he's cutting down on some of those turnovers that made him somewhat frustrating to watch early in the year. The big thing for Musty for me is he just needs to find a way to get inside more consistently. Um, he has a good shot, but to score in the NHL, you've got to score those greasy goals too. And that's sort of where him and Barlow are separated, right? Barlow is the type of guy that drives the net. He can put pucks in with the one-timer. He can shoot from a distance with a good wrister, but he also goes to the net for, for tip-ins, for redirects, to bang home rebounds. He's always there. And that's just something that Quentin Musty needs to do more often. And I think that Derek McKenzie looks like the kind of coach that can get that out of him. And I think that he's sort of progressing to the point where I would even consider him a borderline first at this point. All right. Now we get to the top defenseman on your board, and it's not Cam Allen, much like my own board as well. It's Bo Aki from the Barry Colts. What have you liked about his game so far and what makes him one of your top five guys? I just really like the combination of mobility and sort of offensive ceiling. I think that there's a lot to like about his game as a puck mover. I think that as he continues to gain confidence, I think that he's somebody that's going to put up points in the OHL. And I think he's somebody that could have that similar sort of progression and role in the NHL. Um, the, again, a really strong mover, one of the strongest skaters in this entire draft class for the OHL. I think that he needs to be tougher in his own end. I think the IQ as a defensive player is strong. I think that he just needs to, to add weight, add strength, become more confident in using you know his body to play defense and not be, for lack of a better term, as easy as a, a pushover as he can be sometimes in the defensive end. I think he just needs to be a little bit tougher on his gaps I think he needs to be a little bit tougher when it comes to those 50-50 battles behind the net and near the crease. And I think that's something that can definitely be improved upon. And I just think that at this point, when we look at his package of mobility and, and IQ as an offensive player and skill level as an offensive player, he's sort of moved ahead of Cam Allen for me. All right. Now we get to your fifth guy on the list, Luca Pinelli from the Ottawa 67s, the guy that's been battling Colby Barlow at the top of the scoring list for draft eligibles all year. What have you liked about his game so far this year? In a lot of ways, he's kind of similar to Barlow in that he's somebody that I project as a really strong complementary player. I think the IQ is really, really good. I think that he's progressed as a skater this year. I think that there's still some limitations to his skating, maybe not to the point that I would compare him to Francesco, his brother, in his draft year, which kind of caused him to fall to the second round. I think Luke is a better skater. Um, 
I wouldn't call him a dynamic skater though. And I think that's something that he's going to have to continue to improve on. I just like the overall package of somebody that I think develops into a strong two-way player. I think he's somebody that, you know, gets after it on the four check and be a high energy guy. I think he, he does well with his puck touches, even if he's not somebody that's on the puck all night, I think he does well with the chances that he gets uh, very opportunistic in that sort of sense, which I think points to, you know, that high IQ that I mentioned earlier. And I, I know that's sort of why you really like him, Tony, and you're going to discuss him in a second. Yeah. Now Cam Allen was your honorable mention. So what did you like about, or not necessarily what did you like about his game? Cause we've kind of lamented his game a little bit so far this year, but what kind of gives you hope going forward? I just think that there's still a really strong upside as a, as a good two-way defender. At the beginning of the year, I kind of thought that he could be a, a Charlie McAvoy type, somebody who could be that minute eater. He's not, he doesn't have A-plus skill. Uh, I wouldn't say he's an A-plus skater, but I think when you looked at some of those things that they all sort of graded in that like B-plus, A-minus range. The biggest thing for me this year has been the decision-making with the puck. I think he just seems like he's pressing. Like, it's just, you watch Guelph play, and he's either not taking the kinds of chances that chances that he should be taking, he seems hesitant at times, or he's taking the wrong kind of chances. And it's just like he's in his own head, almost. Like, the draft year pressure, the fact that Guelph has struggled, I think it's just maybe a little bit too much for him right now. And hopefully over the course of the year, maybe the winter break does really good things for him. Uh, kind of like a reset over the holidays, kind of come back fresh. We've seen that in previous years, especially with draft prospects who have really strong second halves because they're able to go home, see their family, sort of like, like a life reset. Like, okay, now I'm back. I'm going to enjoy hockey. I'm going to be back to myself again. So maybe that's something that can really help him. Um, I, I hope it does because I, I do really like him as a prospect. I've heard great things about him as, as a person too. All right, now let's get to my top five list. It's a little bit different. The top player isn't Colby Barlow. He's a little bit further down the list. But I start off with Luca Pinelli, a guy that I think, like you mentioned, there's so many things that he does well, and a lot of it rides right on that intelligence factor. I think, as you mentioned, he's not the most dynamic skater, but the improvement this year is a really good sign. And I always look for improvement as a skater when there are questions about it. Because if you showed a little bit of improvement at this age, you can improve a little bit more. And I think that's a big factor for him as a skater. Now, what separates him from Barlow for me is the fact that he does have a little bit more dynamic puck skill. I think he's a, little, uh, a guy that can do a little bit more as a, a facilitator, a guy that he doesn't need to be the guy scoring goals. And I think that's where Colby Barlow differentiates. I think he's more of that goal scorer, that guy that cleans up around the net, which is certainly a valuable asset. And as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I think he's a guy that can end up being a really good asset as a passenger. But with Pinelli, I think he's a guy that does make his teammates better. We've watched him battle it out with Barlow at the top of the scoring list for draft eligibles this year. And I think that's been the really important factor for, for me, at least in evaluating him. Uh, going to Cal Ritchie, uh, just to pile on everything that you said, he's got so many of these traits and the skills that make that good two-way center moving forward. And I, I don't necessarily see why he isn't scoring in a, in a major way because he is still doing so many right things. Is he the flashiest guy? No. Is he the most efficient or uh, effective guy on the, the power play? Not necessarily, but he's going to get those opportunities as that Oshawa team kind of starts to break down and trade away some of the bigger pieces. And he becomes the guy because I think they're going to end up doing that towards the end of the year uh, with Quentin Musty. Like we've said before, 
a guy that's all tools. I love the game that when he's on his on, when he's on his game, I think he could probably be the best draft eligible player from the OHL. The problem is he's very hit or miss at times. And I think there are moments where you watch a game of his and you're like, did I watch a game of his? And you question that. It's been a lot less frequent lately with the coaching change. He's been playing a lot better. He still needs to get his shots off from a better spot. Like you said, Colby Barlow is my number four, a guy that I think the stats don't lie at the end of the day. Like he's leading all draft eligibles. He has 17 goals in the year, a guy that just cleans up in front of the net. My biggest thing with him is where, what is the upside? And that's my question with Colby Barlow, because I see him scoring goals from in tight. I see his good hands in tight. I have no question about that. But the shot from the outside, which, I mean, you don't want guys necessarily taking, but that's how you do score some goals at the NHL level at times, is good. The passing ability is good. The skating is good. The speed is good. The, the work rate is great. But when the one thing that's, that's great about your game is the work rate, I, I start to question where your upside is. Does he end up as a really good complimentary top six guy? Does he end up as a, a really solid third-line player? I, I don't know. But the thing is, I do. I am pretty sure Colby Barlow is going to be an NHLer, and that's kind of why he remains so high on that list. The top four guys on my list, I all have listed in the first round right now. Um, the top, the ba- bottom two, especially or bottom three, they're all kind of in that twenty to thirty range where it's kind of just a mushy mess right now. We're still trying to figure out who's going where. And then my number five guy is a guy that you didn't have on your list, but Denver Barkey from the London Knights, guy that does so many good things. I think he does a lot for London in terms of being able to um, come out and be that, that offensive presence. He's such a creative guy, a crafty guy along the boards, a a guy that isn't necessarily the biggest player, but understands how to maneuver and how to get his body in the right position. And I think that's the biggest thing with him is that he's so smart. He's so uh, uh, shifty and crafty and he does have really good puck skill. I've seen him on a number of occasions. Deacon dangle through guys and then get a shot off or Deacon dangle through guys and get a pass off. He's a, a true dual threat, and I think that he's kind of established himself as that guy that will play in a middle six, and he is another center, and I think that that does play a role at, at this point in the draft season where, you, like you said, the, you don't really have a top-end center so far this year with Cal, or yeah, Cal Ritchie falling down the board a little bit, and it's kind of been a little bit of a question mark for me. Who else is going to be that center that emerges? And Barky's been a guy that I've really, really liked on London so far. Yeah, let me ask you this about Barky because it's kind of like been the thing that's always kind of come up in my own head when I'm trying to sort of assess his potential and place him in my own list because I do really like him. and I think that I agree with pretty much everything you said. But what I wonder is, do you think Barky skates well enough for a somewhat undersized guy to play the kind of role that we kind of expect him to at the next level? And that's, that's just it, right? Like he would be higher if he was a better skater. I think he's a guy that doesn't lug around the ice by any means, but he's certainly not a dynamic skater. His hands get him out of trouble a lot of times. And the big thing I'm going to be watching for him, if I want to see him go up my list at all this year is does he get that extra gear as he gets a little bit stronger? Does he get that extra gear throughout the year where he does become a little bit more of a, a powerful skater, a dynamic guy, even in open space, there are times where I'm like, you're doing a lot to get not a lot of places. So that's going to be my biggest thing with him, but he's incredibly smart. He gets to the right spots, especially off the puck. So I I do look at him as a guy that maybe he ends up on the wing at the next level, but he does a lot of the right things. And that's why I kind of have him on my list there. And as for my honorable mention, I'll I'll just piggyback on what you said about Boaki, a guy that has all sorts of mobility and that's where everything out of his game comes from. 
does he necessarily have the dynamism? That's a big question mark. Does he have the the pedigree to be a true offensive defenseman? Or is he going to be that guy that's a transition guy that doesn't get the love the way a, a guy like Nick Jensen, formerly of the Wings, currently on the Capitals, has gotten for so many years, where he does so many things. And when you look at his underlying metrics, you're like, oh, this is a really good player, like a top four defenseman. But then you look at his points and you're like, oh, he had 11 points this year. And, and you question why the, the production and the transition game doesn't doesn't progress to offensive skill and offensive production. At the end of the day, I'd still take that on my team in a lot of cases. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's why he's he's a pretty safe bet. I, I would be shocked if he's not a top 50 selection this year. And I know that's very early to make a statement like that. But just when you look at all the things that he brings to the table, I would be shocked if he's not a top 50 pick. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, I'm sure we're going to do a ton more draft-eligible stuff throughout the year, but let's quickly get to some Team Canada stuff. Let's just kind of go back and forth really quick on a couple locks that we have for the team. And first, I'll give the floor to you. Who are your locks for this team coming out of the OHL? So I'm going with the two returning players. I'm going Brennan Othman. I'm going Ethan Del Mastro. Uh, I think that those guys are going to play a, a pretty key role. I think they'll probably use Del Mastro in more of like a shutdown role, perhaps even pairing him with Zellweger on that sort of top pairing. Yeah, it'd be a really th- nice thunder and lightning uh, pairing there with those two guys. And my lock, I'm cheating a little bit because he's currently in the AHL, but I'm going with Shane Wright. I think he's a guy that's going to play a big role in this team. Uh, obviously a guy that has had success at this tournament before and has su- had success internationally before. So I think with the plan that the Seattle Kraken have kind of weirdly manufactured throughout the year and him going to be going through the AHL stint and then possibly playing one NHL game before likely being released to the world junior squad. I think he's the lock on my team for for now, but who are a couple of your two maybes? So one I think is very circumstantial and that's Jack Matier. I think that when you look at James Boyd being the general manager of his team, the fact that he can play the right side, big body who can play that sort of shutdown role, just like Ethan Del Mastro. I think he's somebody who gets a very long look. Uh, I'd be shocked if he's not at least a development camp or a, a trial camp uh, invitee. The other one would be Owen Beck. I think he just sort of, I guess, tailored to that bottom six stereotypical role that the Canadian junior staff always brings uh, and always wants their teams to play with. And I think he's somebody who can bring a lot of versatility to to the Hockey Canada coaching staff as well. Yeah, I think both those guys are probably right on there. Owen Beck was originally on my list as well before I seen you take him. So I went with a couple other guys, and I went with Ty Nelson, David Goyette, and Francesco Pinelli. With Nelson, I think he just has that game that Team Canada likes to play. He understands how to move the puck up ice. He's not necessarily going to have to worry about going up against men, so the size isn't as much of an issue. He knows how to move the puck. He's got a big shot from the back end. You could be an asset in that team. With David Goyette, he's a guy that I think Excellent, excellent passer. One of the funnest playmakers in the OHL, in my opinion. And he's a guy that I think you can play up and down the lineup. He's a guy that I think fixes a lot of problems on the line. And whether he's on the fourth line, third line, or even one of the top two, I think he'd be a really fun addition to that Team Canada team. And with Pinelli, he might be my biggest long shot of the three. But there's just something about Pinelli's game this year that has matured a little bit. The intelligence is that always been there and he's getting a little bit more of a higher paced game now that he's maturing and, and getting a little bit more physically stable at the OHL level so could he be, end up being that that secret weapon in the bottom six I don't know but he's certainly a guy that's going to be interesting to kind of see going forward now who's a surprise for you so I thought about this one pretty long and hard 
I the one I'm going with is Tucker Robertson. I think he had a really good summer camp. And I think that he's had a good start to the year with Peterborough. And he's sort of like that Owen Beck type. I think he could be used in a variety of different roles for Team Canada. I think he could be somebody that can be that 13th forward for them and kind of jump in on lines, play the PK, um, you know, could work the forecheck, be a physical presence. I just think that there's a lot of different layers to his game. And I think the fact that he was really strong um, in that summer camp, I think he kind of made some fans, I think. Yeah, he's an excellent pick for a surprise. My surprise may come as a surprise considering he was number four on my draft list. But Colby Barlow, I think, is a dark horse to make this team because he can fit that role that Team Canada loves in the bottom end of the roster where he can play the PK, he can be that energy guy. And at the end of the day, like I said, he goes to the dirty areas and he can put pucks in the net from that spot. He's not going to be asked to drive a line. He's not going to be asked to be a guy that's a huge difference maker. But could he be that guy that scores a big goal at the at, at a at – a, big moment for team Canada. Could he be a guy that scores a goal kind of in, in the third period of a game uh, in, in the elimination rounds or something like that as the 13th forward, uh, a guy that's used on the penalty kill, like you said, used kind of all over the lineup and just kind of fitting in the spot. So it's going to be really interesting. And, and while I don't expect him to be in the lineup, I can certainly see him kind of getting there. Yeah. It's funny because we kind of chatted about this, but the two that I heavily debated as sort of like surprise was, Robertson and Barlow and I agree with you completely I think that he had a really good Halinka I think that he opened some eyes with his work on the penalty kill and he's somebody that they could easily take in that sort of 13th forward role uh you know if they need to slot him up high in the lineup as a goal scorer they can for an injury fill-in or whatever um he can kill penalties he can play the power play maybe the second power play unit so there's definitely some a lot of again I keep we keep using that term or at least I do versatility but when you're picking these world junior rosters it's so important that you're picking players who can be versatile and be used in sort of multiple roles yeah i I agree with you there completely and it's going to be interesting i'm sure next week's episode we'll dig into who's all in the camp because they should be releasing the roster anytime now um, with with world junior rosters starting to get uh released a little bit so the camp roster should be out by next week and i'm sure we'll discuss it then but until then it's a good time to wrap it up from here uh lots of ohl talk going to be on the way next week again we appreciate you listening as always and we'll see you next time